Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Amen. So we're, we're looking at the, the next prophet. We began with Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And remember that um, those three were fair, pretty much contemporaries of each other. Jeremiah um, and was probably before Ezekiel and Daniel, uh, but they all overlapped at some point. Uh, Daniel obviously knows about Jeremiah, who is back in, well, let me, um, oh, I didn't get us there. Remember, uh, uh, Ezekiel was in Sush or Susa. It's now the Iranian, Iranian city of Sush, it's called. That's where Ezekiel was. Um, Daniel was taken to Babylon, evidently like Ezekiel in the first wave of exiles taken by the Babylonians out of Babylon. He was, remember they took important people initially and they took some to be servants, young men to be servants of the, the king of Babylon. And uh, Daniel was one of that set. So he, he came from over in Judah. They would travel along the Euphrates River. That's why they would go north and then uh, southeast, just so that they would have water along the way. Because if you've ever been through here, it gets pretty arid through this region of the world. Um, <clears throat> so this is modern-day Iraq. Babylon would have been in, right near uh, Baghdad, which is up here. And this was quite a distance, but not huge, away. So they may never have met Ezekiel and Daniel. Daniel is taken to the, um, to the court of Nebuchadnezzar. He serves there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And we begin Daniel by meeting all of them. And they're asking that they not uh, have to eat the food uh, that is provided for those who are in training for service to the king. Daniel ends up um, being among the uh, Chaldeans. The, they're called the Chaldeans uh, throughout scripture and in history. And that's the group of Babylonian um, wise men, or it's hard to say. Some would call them magicians. Some would say they were astrologers. Um, and Daniel becomes kind of the chief of that group. Some would say that they were like what? You know, what? Magi, yeah. They, the, the Magi, we think, are descendants. We're not quite sure about the Magi, but it seems like the Magi, in their, in their knowledge of he who is to be born king of the Jews, may reflect a knowledge that's come from Daniel. 
and been passed down, though that's certainly not uh, something that we know for certain that would have had to have been passed down for three or four centuries for it to be living it, and it may have been a direct revelation. Um, I, the, the, I've read, and I think it might be fair to call them sort of astronomers, but they were also looking to the stars for direction in life. And, um, and that's a, a really, it's, it's something to bear in mind as you think about how God works, that God actually used these men uh, these astrologers to bring glory to his, his son and actually gave them knowledge of his son somehow through a sign in the heavens, through a star. And um, I, I think, you know, there are so many things in the Bible you, you, that don't fit what our, you know, constrain the dog with a muzzle approach to the Bible is. I think many of us have an approach to the Bible that thinks, that looks at the Bible as being a dangerous kind of semi-rabbit dog. And you have to be very careful not to let that dog get loose in certain ways. You, and so you, you have a button-down theology that is a sort of a superimposed grid that you apply to the scriptures. Have you ever, are you aware of what I'm talking about? Does this make any sense to you? It's a superimposed grid that makes the scriptures behave and, and conform with what we like. So I would say, if you've ever heard of cessationism, which says that there is no miracles after the apostolic age, God only speaks through the Bible, doesn't speak at all to us directly anymore, and miracles are all false. Well, that's a grid, you know? That's, that's a muzzle on the dog. And uh, I think it's really important that we be aware of what muzzles we've put on the dog and, and work to remove them, because otherwise we're going to be telling God what he can do rather than him telling us what we should do. And, uh, and one of those is that, um, <clears throat> you know, that God does not work through <laughs> means that, that we find dicey. Uh, you know, reading Hebrews recently in my private reading, you go through Hebrews 11 and the heroes of faith. And there are a number of heroes of faith in that chapter that you say, whoa, you know, Rahab hid the spies, which involved lying, and she's a hero for it. And then uh, James speaks about her being justified by her hiding of the spies. All those are things that we want to say, whoa, you know, lying was wrong justified by it, a hero of faith for hiding, you know, and all these things were, and yet God is bigger than our conception of him. He's never bigger than the word. You know, you don't take off from the word, but what the word shows us, what it shows us is that God will speak to astrologers, right? And God will speak through the stars and God will do things that you would think. But of course, this has to be true because all of us began in sin. And all of us had God come to us in our sin, out of our sin, out of our darkness and night, and lead us to him, right? And so if you say it can't be done with astrologers by the stars, then how was it done for you by your drunken night that led you? Or how many guys I've met in this church who came, started to come to Jesus because they spent a night in jail, you know? 
And we'd say, well, that's different. But no, God is God and we're not. So we have Daniel over there. He is probably, um, he is certainly in his position together with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a eunuch. The eunuch was, um, was a court official who was castrated. Now, as time went on, eunuchs weren't necessarily castrated. It became the description of a court official. It was a title for a certain type of court official who did the things that the eunuchs had traditionally done. So we can't be certain, but we don't, you know, it's, it, it's quite certain that what he and the other young men were brought to do was the traditional role of a eunuch. And so, you know, you, they were trained together. They were, um, they were taught together. And uh, Daniel is of the nobility. He's taken captive in the first wave. And he begins to prophesy it, he begins to prophesy when he's in captivity. He is n known by Jeremiah, who speaks of Daniel. Daniel knows Jeremiah, which if you look <clears throat> and you see that Daniel's over here and Jeremiah's back in Jerusalem and then down into Egypt, um, you realize that's quite a distance. I mean, from here to the center of Egypt is, is a fair ways. And, and from there to here is a significant distance, like 1,000 miles, 800 miles, something like that. It's a long ways, especially in that day. We know that Daniel is aware of Jeremiah because later in the book of Daniel, uh, we see Daniel says that he is realizing the number of years since the captivity. And uh, he says in chapter 9, in the first year of Darius, so this is late in the life of Daniel, in the first year of Darius, the son of Hazuerus, from the seed of the Medes, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, discerned in the books the number of the years concerning which the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, for the fulfillment of the laying waste of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my face to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And then follows his great prayer of repentance, which I trust we'll come back to. But it's... It's fascinating to see that Daniel is aware of what Jeremiah had prophesied. He has a record of it. He has a memory of it. Perhaps he has it written down. And he's actually looking at Jeremiah, who's a contemporary, and saying, Jeremiah said this many years. It's nearing the end of 70 years. And he starts praying. So he's treating the prophecy of Jeremiah as the word of God. You understand? Now, he doesn't receive a Bible, does he? There's no written Bible back then. And the collection of the prophetic books that make up our Old Testament is not complete because Daniel's writing it, right? 
But he listens to Jeremiah and he realizes that Jeremiah has said 70 years and he goes to pray to God and says, I realize that these 70 years are up. And so we have in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, four men who are utterly convinced of the truth of God's word. God's word as it was written by Moses, which they do have, the Pentateuch, which lays out the dietary law that they want to follow. You understand what I'm talking about? The story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel refusing to eat the foods that were provided and saying, we don't want to eat it. And, uh, and them saying, make a test of it. We don't want this rich fare. Give us what we're allowed to eat and how they are approved by the, the chief of the the king's trainers of the young men at the end of it. Well, that's a desire to maintain the dietary law of Israel. And so they have that in written form and they're following it, but they are also listening to a contemporary, rather than being jealous of him, saying, ah, I'm a better prophet here, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm more in the thick of things. You're back in the, where it's easy, Jeremiah. They're listening to Jeremiah. And they're saying 70 years, and they're heeding it as the word of God. I, I, I wonder if any of you have ever heard something a person has said, or a preacher has said, as the word of God to you. You know that the, the, the church has, has always said that the preaching of the word of God is prophecy today. It is the prophetic office. Now, there are other prophecies as well that may be given. You understand, and prophets mainly preached, although at times they would foretell the future, but most of the time they were preaching to people. Have you ever listened to a sermon and said, that's the word of God, and followed it? Well, this is something we see in these young men. And I think it's, it should be a challenging a challenging example to us that these men with nothing to rely on living really alone in the midst of a, a pagan culture where they have many enemies rely on the preached and written word of God and they find life through it and you know that there were other uh, prophets working in Jerusalem, who opposed Jeremiah and said, we will vanquish them, we will do this. Daniel's not listening, he's, he's discerning. He understands that those are false prophets. But he also knows that Jeremiah is a true prophet and he listens to him. So are you discerning between false and true prophets? Do you have anyone in mind that you say, I would never listen to that, or I've heard that, and that's a false prophet? These are categories that need to be alive in our minds. They're biblical categories. They, they exist in the Old Testament. They go the whole way through the Bible. And so Daniel, as a true prophet, respects another true prophet, and he listens to his word as the very word of God. So we have a, a number of things in this, uh, a number of dreams, a number of challenges and temptations, and... Uh, and I want to focus on three temptations that come to the 
the young men and Daniel. All right. The second of them does not come to Daniel. Daniel relates it, but it doesn't appear that he's involved in the trial of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the first temptation is, is set up when they come to Babylon and they are put aside to serve the king and set apart for training and enter into the, the regime of training that's provided for such young men. Daniel is offered the food. Daniel's called by the uh, Babylonians, what's his name? Belteshazzar, yeah. And, uh, and Shadrach, we know him as Daniel, though, which is his Hebrew name. We don't know Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego except uh, by their, they're called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel. They actually are Sha uh, uh, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, but we don't know them by their Hebrew names. So Daniel sets apart in his heart. He's probably a young guy, right? We, we know that he's alive through almost the entire uh, captivity. Actually, he is alive through it. So 70 years. So 70 years of captivity taken as a young man, usually guys like this were taken as young men, he's entered into the, the, the college of training, and he would have been at most an adolescent at that point, right? He's entered into the college of training, of, uh, and he says, and he's apart from his family, he's with three other young Hebrew men, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to eat that food. I'm not going to eat that food. And he goes to the the head of the, uh, the, the training program and says, test us, give us a chance. If you were uh, a 12 year old in a foreign land and you were in the king's court and being trained and he was offering you his food, do you think you'd make a point of avoiding the food? Seems like a very minor temptation, doesn't it? What's that? Yeah, you'd say, okay, life is blown up as we know it. We're gonna, we're just gonna, we're gonna make do here, you know? We're gonna make do. That's not Daniel. He says, God says it, I'm gonna live by it. And he goes and he says, make a test of us. And I think most of us would say, look, Daniel, circumstances have changed, you know? You don't really need to do that, right? But Daniel says, I've got to do it. You know, Jer uh, the book of James? Uh, has, any of, have any, has anyone here memorized the beginning of the book of James? Can you start us off on it, James? I it a, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Were you saying that? No. What's that? The first few. Consider it. Okay. Trials, okay? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? What do you think of when you think of a trial? 
Well, have, has anyone gone through a trial recently? You're going through one with your husband. Who else is going through a trial? What are you going through? Life in general? Yeah. Anyone else here? It's interesting. Um, as you continue through that chapter, you get further on and it says, um, if you bear up under trial, what does it say? And, uh, I had it memorized 20 years ago. But if you bear up a little later, it goes to the rich man and he's fading away even as he goes about his business. The poor man should rejoice in his exalted status, the rich man in his, in his humiliation because he's fading away even as he goes up. You know, um, and then it says that if you bear up under trial, something like that, and the very next verse then goes and says, but when you are tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, uh, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed, and, and after desire has given birth, it gives birth to sin. It's, it's, you realize that the same Greek word is used there for, and they switch in, the, King James doesn't do this, but they switch in the middle of the chapter. In fact, in, from one verse to another, they go from calling it trial to temptation. But the real word is temptation, right? The real word is temptation. And that's why when they come to God not tempting us uh, it, and he's not tempted by evil, it's very clear it's temptation. The King James accurately translates it temptation the whole way through, right? What's the point of this? The point is that we've gotten to the point in the Protestant world today where we actually disguise the fact that temptation needs to be withstood, that we need to say no to sin. You know, trials are generally neutral, aren't they? It can be a trial that you have a flat tire. It can be a trial that you're ill. But temptation introduces the possibility of falling into sin. It's, it's inherent in temptation, right? The word that James uses is temptation. In no modern translation, even the NASB, it puts a footnote saying temptation. But they don't do it because they don't want to make it seem like you must resist temptation to endure and to receive God's approval. That would seem too much like earning your salvation to them. And so they change it. Am I making sense? They change it. But we see here with Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, four young men who say they don't encounter a trial. They don't say, oh, this is just a trial. They understand it's a temptation. And that every trial is a trial if it has temptation. Otherwise, it's just the result of living in a fallen world. You know, the, the hardness of life because we sin. But trials bring temptation. And we see these four men being tempted. The first one is a rather minor one, right? What, what food are you going to eat? But it ratchets up. What's the next one? What's the next temptation that we see come? Now, I'm, I'm skipping the dreams. That's, because of the dreams, these guys get promoted. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He says, tell me the dream, and then I'll believe that you can tell me the interpretation of it. 
All the astrologers, the Chaldeans say, we can't do that. No man could ever do that. Come on, man. Tell us the dream. We'll tell you what it meant. He says, I'll trust you in your interpretation. If you tell me the dream, then I'll know that you have the accurate, the accurate interpretation. And so Daniel asks for time. He hears about this because they're out going to slaughter all the Chaldeans. And he says, give us time. He prays. The other guys pray. God reveals the dream. It's the dream of the image, right? Gold head, silver chest, bronze, and then clay mixed with iron. And it's four kingdoms. We're not going to go into those kingdoms. You know, I mean, everyone speculates on what they are. I don't find that so helpful. I mean, there may come a time when it becomes important to understand some of these dreams of Daniel. I think it's far more important to understand the life that Daniel lives and not try to interpret these dreams, which God himself said to Daniel are sealed up until some later time. You know, so you, let's not worry about the interpretation of the dreams. and Let's worry more about the life he lived and what's obvious rather than the things that are sealed. You're aware of what I'm talking about where the angel tells Daniel this dream is sealed until the end, you know, and people have speculated what the kingdoms are and what this guy is who comes against that guy. And it's, you know, when I was young, it was always Russia, right? But today, I think the dispensationalists would have changed it to China. <laughs> it's whatever nation is not us, you know. So you, you, you come to the, the second one, and uh, they rise because Daniel can tell them the dream, and therefore the interpretation. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, whoa, okay, you are, you are the supremos. I'm going to make you over my entire establishment of wise men. And they administer the province of Babylon, which is they rule the capital, and they are over all the such uh, Chaldeans in the whole province of Babylon. Uh, but after that, Nebuchadnezzar erects a golden image, right? This is done on his own initiative. It's not done because of uh, others op opposing Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's his own initiative. And the command is that when all the people hear the sound of the of the bagpipes and the various instruments, they're to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up, all right? And at this time, certain people, now they do use this as an opportunity to come against Daniel, the Chaldeans, those they're over and who resent their ascent to the heights, come there and bring charges against the Jews and say, there are certain people who don't do it. And namely, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these men don't pay attention to you. They, have, they don't serve your gods and they don't worship you. So Nebuchadnezzar in his anger says, bring them to me. Will you do it? Is it true? Will you worship my image? And they say no. He says, I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. And they give that classic response. What is it? Yes, yes. Uh, they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to respond to you with an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to save us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he will save us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods. And we will not worship the golden image that, we, that you have set up. They, they understand that God is sovereign. They're not worshiping God because he's made life easy for them. In fact, God has not made life easy for them. 
Every step of their lives has been filled with temptation. And so now they come to one that seems, well, that is huge. It's life, life and death. Worship the image or die. And the, the test they faced as a youth with the food was simple compared with this, right? You know? And now they face a huge test. But they... Do you think that perhaps the three of them stick it out because they're together? You know, you think, wouldn't it be hard to take this stance all on your own? But if there are three of you who say, do you have three friends that you love the Lord together with who will say, we're not going to do what's wrong? You know, I wasn't a Christian in high school, but uh, my best friend and I said, it's honorable only to sleep with the woman you marry. You know, we weren't, we weren't honorable guys in a sense. We weren't Christians, but we said it's honorable only to sleep with the girl that you marry. And we held each other for that for five, seven years. You know, we became friends our junior year. Years later, we were still saying, in fact, he moved in with, his, with a girl. And two years after I graduated from college, and I said, Mark, what are you doing? You know that you said you wouldn't do that, and we committed to each other. And I probably told this story before, haven't I? Yeah. But you know what he did? He looked me in the eyes and he said, you're right and it's wrong, but I promise you, David, within three months we're going to be married. I already have it planned. And uh, so even at 23 or 24, I could call him on it, and he knew I was right. And he was bound and determined that this would be the one woman, you know? It is important that you have a friend. Do you have a friend? Who is it? Gabe Simpson and Kale. Do you have a friend, Kate? Drew. Drew. You have a friend? Amelia, my brother and uh, Jake Lawson. Okay. Sam? Alex and Vera Hoover. What about you, Summer? Joy. Joy? Okay. Reagan? Yeah, good. It's great when it's your own sister or brother. So I, I hope all of you have a friend that you are committed to following the Lord because it sure helps you to stand through the time of temptation. So they... They get bundled up, they get thrown in the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace and says, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. We don't know. People like to speculate that that was Jesus coming down, son of the gods, but it could have been an angel, it could have been any, but certainly God came into the furnace with them. And so they went through the fiery furnace and learned that God could save them. How many times have we failed to experience the power of God to save us because we weren't willing to go into the furnace? We, we, we took the easy route rather than through the temptation by faith. And so they come through it. And then there's a third trial, and that comes... Years later, okay, so the kingdom of Babylon falls. And Nebuchadnezzar has been king, and then his son, Belshazzar, becomes king. And I think it's actually his grandson, though it's accounted his son. And, uh, and then uh, Daniel has 
lapsed into obscurity and the handwriting appears on the wall of the, of the palace where Belshazzar is having his great feast. Do you remember this? And uh, it says, the hand writes on the wall, mene, mene, tekel, you parson. And what does it mean? <laughs> mene, mene, tekel, you parson. Come on, someone knows it. It means, this is one of those things, if you read the Bible, it just sticks in your mind, you know, at least from my mind. It's kind of, many, many, tekel, you parson, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That God has numbered your days, weighed your life, and your kingdom is divided from you. You are, you have lost. I am done in that. So the Belshazzar had promised Daniel a reward up to half his kingdom, and he makes him the kingdom. And that very night, the the, the Persians come from here, Cyrus, and invade Babylon, and uh, the kingdom of Babylon falls, never to rise again. And uh, so Daniel becomes a high official in the court of the, the Persians, and there's one final test of Daniel. All right? What's that test? Come on, someone. What's that? Yeah, no, the lion's den isn't the test. All right, you're right that that is uh, the response to the test. But Darius's officials do what? Yeah, they set him up. They tell the king, oh, king, they're, they're flatterers. You understand this. It's the huge difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. The Christian tells the truth. The non-Christian flatters. You see it throughout the Bible. The, the flatterers are legion. The ones who tell the truth to the power are, are the prophets and the men and women of God. So Darius has set Daniel up high again. He's over all the satraps, over the kingdom, the, the various portions of the kingdom, the divisions of the kingdom. And uh, so the, the people who have been put under Daniel understand that the only way they're going to get rid of Daniel is by finding some ground to, of accusation against him that regards the law of God because he is unimpeachable. He is impeccable when it comes to the laws and, of the king and as to financials. He is not, you can't get him on any grounds except maybe on the grounds of he worships another god. So they come to the king, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners, they say, we say, O king, that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days will be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the written document so it may be, not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Medes and Persians is still called the law of the Medes and Persians today. In legal circles, you'll hear it. What does it mean? It's a system of law that's flawed. It's understood to be fundamentally flawed. Why? Because once a law is made, you can't change it, right? It's, even the king can't undo something he promulgates, okay? So this comes up in Esther when, when uh, Artaxerxes publishes the, the command that throughout the kingdom, Anyone can go and kill all the Jews, Jews on the day of 
you know, on the specific day, cast by lot, known as Purim. And, and so when Esther uncovers Haman's plot, who was wanting to kill all the Jews, she goes to the king and he says, but I can't change my law. All he can do is, is establish a second law that competes with the first, which says, okay, you can kill the Jews, but I'm giving the Jews the right to go after you. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so he effectively undoes the, pre, the, the preceding law. So this is what happens. They say, you've got to publish this law. Well, now the, the, the nature of this temptation is, I think, fascinating. The progression, it goes from food to, to bowing down to the, the golden image to this one. And this one has almost... Do you realize how easy it would have been for Daniel to escape this one? What is all he has to do to have no problem at all? Close his windows, not do it publicly, not pray publicly, just hide a bit. Can you imagine how well they know this guy, how well known he is for his love for God, that they know that if he's told not to do it, he's still going to keep on doing it in public? Can you imagine that kind of... And now he's solitary. He's not around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've probably died. He's alone, and he says, I will not change. I will worship God. And, uh, and so then comes the punishment, which the king, when he realizes the scheming of the Chaldeans, or of the, the uh, it's not the Chaldeans anymore, the safe traps and so forth, when he realizes their scheming, he tries to undo it, and they say, you published a law, king! Laws of the Medes and Persians can't be changed. So the king seals him into, the, into the, the, the lion's den, which was the punishment decreed, and, and then spends all the night in fasting. He is mourning what he's had to do, and he's angry. And the next morning, he runs out at dawn. He calls out, Daniel, Daniel, has your God preserved you? Daniel says, O king, live forever. My God has preserved me. And they haul him out. And then he throws every one of the guys who preyed upon him to get him to, to sentence Daniel to death. He throws every one of them in the fiery front, or into the lion's den. And immediately their mouths are open and they, they eat them all and their families. So you see three temptations and each is... Interesting. The first one is so easy. And the last one is so easy to escape. The middle one is pretty hard to escape, you know. But, uh, and yet these men will not give in. God give us this kind of consistency that we see in Daniel. What a great prophet. What a great prophet. Where is it in the Bible that God says, if, even if Job and Daniel <coughs> appear before me? Is it Ezekiel who says it? And he says, Job and Daniel? What? He says it twice, two different Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I should remember that. 
God says, look, Job and Daniel, you know the, the righteousness of Job, right? We need to be aware from Daniel, from these three great stories of temptations overcome, that there is no greatness in God that doesn't involve resisting sin and risk. Risk and resistance to temptation are the triumph of the Christian life. And I don't know where you're being tempted, but that's the place to say, I will be like Daniel. How many of you as kids learned the, that, old, that old song, Dare to Be a Daniel? It's a few of you? Sam, how is it your mother and your sister know it and you shake your head? You were deprived. Were you dull? <laughs> The song, it, it, you know, I don't sing it anymore, but it goes, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to, what? Come on, help me. Some... I do know it. <laughs> I even have the tune. Sing it then. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to, Anyway, it's, it's the kind of thing that we should continue teaching our kids. You know, you should have taught them. <laughs> <laughs> we should, you know, because it's, it's given to us as an example so that we, so that we have victory in life and, and live like Daniel, this great prophet. Are you listening to the word of God? Do you listen to preachers? Do you listen to trustworthy preachers and say, okay, I'm going to do this? Or do you find it a reason to, to disagree and then go your own way? Do you, do you look to the word of God and say, I'm going to heed it. Now, I want to close with a little story that has nothing to do with this, but I want you aware of this in case you ever encounter what I encountered. I was somewhere, I don't remember where, and stuck for a week in a hotel. I think it was in northern Minnesota. But I was stuck for a week, and I, that week I read all of the, uh, the, I found a little library, and I read, lending a library, and I got all of C.S. Lewis, Narnia, and read, reread them. And then I found a Bible there. <clears throat> and so I took it back to my hotel room and I was reading it and I was reading Daniel. And I came to the story in Daniel about Bell and the dragon. How many of you know the story of Bell and the dragon in the book of Daniel? <laughs> and I'm going, whoa, mud. You didn't read this part of Daniel. You know, I never knew about dragons and the Bible has dragons in it. And stuff. All sorts of stuff, you know, all sorts of stuff in Daniel. I'm going on, whoa, I, I don't remember any of this. Well, then I looked in the front. It was a Catholic Bible. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder. The Catholic Bibles have what are called the Apocrypha or more technically the Deuterocanonical books. That means in between the canons. Deutero in between canonical, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament canon. And there's a bunch of them, you know, like first Maccabees, Wisdom, Tobit, you know. And they add in portions to Daniel. So if you ever find stories in Daniel about the dragon, you're reading a Catholic Bible, all right? <laughs> so, well, thank you. Isaac, would you, are you here? Yes. Would you close us with prayer? Thank you for listening to Truth and Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, every book is truth to live by. 